I'm wearing a turtleneck. I never wear turtlenecks. <laughs> I love you in a turtleneck. Really? It's so cute. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I feel a little bit like I'm choking to death. Oh, you look so studious. I love it. That's why I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and three, two. Hi, D. Hi, D. Are you still with me? Can one be incredibly interested in something but hate it every step of the way? <laughs> 100%. I'd say that's probably everyone's opinion and relationship with these horrifying stories. Do you remember Hillary Burton? She was on TRL. She was a TRL mm. host and on One Tree Hill. Mm. I feel like if you saw her picture, you would immediately be like, yep. I know exactly who that is. Okay, okay. I listened to this other podcast. I love it. It's called Robbie and Ellen Solve the Case. And she gave this really interesting perspective on women specifically, women's interest in true crime, because that tends to be the demographic. Mm -hmm. She said women are natural preppers and planners, but also natural prey. And I've Mm. never heard that before. And that's true. Historically, it's true. So a woman's interest in true crime and hearing these stories, it just kind of feeds right into that natural instinct to learn what steps we can take to Mm -hmm. avoid this kind of violence, you know, to kind of like prep and plan to stay away from it. And I just felt like that was such an interesting take. You know what? For once, that actually does make complete sense to me. Oh, I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) For For once. once. After all of this. (laughs) It only took three episodes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Forensic Files Duo Podcast, where we recap the show that might be Forensic Files, but could possibly be X-Files, or as we learned, last episode was once upon a time called Medical Detectives. On a more serious note, we do understand that we will be discussing a lot of sensitive topics, so although we may laugh at times, please remember that we are only laughing at ourselves. We are not making light of what the victims and their families have gone through and may continue to be going through. And in an effort to use the public's overall interest in the show Forensic Files and leverage the power of digital media, once the episode coverage is over, we will highlight two missing person cases, a case that's currently on the BIA's Missing and Murdered Indigenous People database, and another on the Black and Missing Foundation's website. Well, excuse me while I take a generous sip of Grandpa's cocktail to mentally prepare for the next episode you picked. Mm. Okay, so today we have chosen the Darby Sour, which is gin, grapefruit juice, lime juice, and get this, powdered sugar. What? So good. It's so good. But I've never put powdered sugar on any cocktail, and I think it's absolutely fabulous. So cheers to Grandpa. Cheers to Grandpa. I'm actually drinking out of the cup you got me for Christmas from Harris. (laughs) Yes, in London. I absolutely love it. I love it. So thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Now, this episode, Drew. (laughs) Wow, this is a big one. I know, I know. We are talking about a serial killer, astrology, a World War II code breaker, right at the start of the episode, right at the open. I mean, listen, I love, I mean, like, you love true crime, but I love astrology. I have my three signs tattooed on my arm, so this just felt so fitting. Very, very much so. Yeah. So this episode is called Signs of the Zodiac, and it aired on April 18th, 2005. But of course, the case takes us back to... The 90s. Again, we are back to the 90s. We cannot escape the 90s. For anyone who tries to look up this episode to watch it yourself, this is a bit confusing. It's actually the 25th episode of season 8, but on streaming platforms, it's episode 15 of season Mm -hmm. 8. I'm not sure why some episodes aren't available on Peacock or Hulu, but... I'm glad I figured it out because I was about 10 minutes into the wrong episode while taking (laughs) notes. Uh, So regardless, I found my way back. So Drew, please set the scene. 
We open the episode with a lot of random shots of New York City. And of course, um, the legend Peter Thomas tells us that for six years, a serial killer was prowling the streets of New York City and hunting his victims. He promised to kill 12 people, one for each astrological sign. And he only struck while certain constellations were visible. It took forensic astronomy, handwriting analysis, and the World War II code breaker to find him. Okay, Drew, I know you live in New York now, but do you hear a lot about like what it was like in the 80s and 90s? I mean, kind of. I mean, the 80s and 90s were definitely a crazy time for New York City. A lot of shit went down during that time, yeah. especially the AIDS pandemic. But I just right. think that we must give thanks to everyone who lived in New York City because those were some rough times. But honestly, they paved the way for so much today. So I'm thankful. Yeah, you're so right. That's such a beautiful perspective, actually. Um, because I've heard in true crime documentaries and podcasts about New York City a ton. Mm-hmm. And they always open with like New York in the 80s, New York in I the know, 90s. It I was know. dangerous and blah, blah, blah. And so in an effort to not be like every other true crime podcast or documentary out there that just kind of puts that blanket statement on it, I found this Redditor's comment about it that I just think is absolute gold. Okay, Can I read tell, it for me, you? T- tell me, tell me, tell me. I'm just going to spell out his Reddit name. M-A-B-X-542 said, grew up in NYC South Bronx in late 80s, early 90s. Call it romanticizing, but while I admit it was a total shithole, <laughs> it was our shithole, and there was comfort in that. The only bougie fancy pants area was really Fifth Avenue by Trump Tower. Everywhere else felt pretty gritty. <laughs> There's your history lesson from a oh, local. My, I mean, I really wish you would have read that with a Bronx accent. Not a chance. No. <laughs> that was That's kind of gold. It is so good, but I don't want to insult anyone from the Bronx. <laughs> Just feel like they're just like <laughs> tough as nails, right? Like, I'm not going to fuck with that. Uh, yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so after the intro, we see yet another mode of transportation in New York City, the subway. Peter tells us that one night in March 1990, 49-year-old Mario Orozco was walking home from his restaurant job in Brooklyn because who survives in New York without one? Let's be real. Out of nowhere, Mario is shot. Luckily, he survived, but he can't describe the attacker. The way the shadowy reenactment is filmed, it looks like the shooter is completely hidden from view. But from where they shot this, they didn't seem to care that there's a whole fence between the shooter and reenactment Mario. So now we're just moving along fast. The B-roll shots in this episode are so awful. I know, I know. a bunch of like blurry, nondescript buildings. It could have been shot anywhere. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And then randomly, we just see like the moon and the forest in like a time lapse. Yeah. So... I'm a little lost visually, but Peter keeps us on track. Three weeks later, another shooting. 34-year-old factory worker Herman Montenegro was walking home after a serious night of drinking when someone shot him in the back. He too survived, but he didn't see the gunman either. A serious night of drinking. Are we throwing shit at Herman living his best life, Peter? He gets shot in the back, but he luckily survives. But again, he didn't even see the gunman. This is like terrorist level shit. When I was watching this, I was like, holy, I I mean, this is, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I agree 100%. And what's so sad is we should be like, this is New York, you know, in the early 90s. How scary, right? Right, right. right. With the mass shootings these days, we are so desensitized to news like this. Right. And that should tell you everything you have to know about how bad it's gotten. I know. The whole thing makes me so upset, but... It's so common now that it's become part of our country's culture. Like, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. And I just really, I feel like they're 
has to be a better way. So now the police recover a 9mm bullet from the scene, but there are no grooves on it. Drew, with your dad being chief of police, do you know anything about, like, ballistics and such? I... Oh, <laughs> the face. Like, I don't. I I'm don't. I know, I know, I know. I don't. Actually, I mean, are you surprised? No. <laughs> I just know that a lot of the stories that my dad used to tell me as a kid and teenager about the police force made me realize that this is probably not a field for a little old Drew. <laughs> But we meet Detective Michael Caravolo, and under his name, they made a point to put NYPD retired. <laughs> he totally looks like he did not want to be bothered. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he's so annoyed that they're disrupting his retirement, right. but like it was like the pay was too good, and <laughs> so he's just like sucking it up to take the misses on a cruise I or know, something. I know, I know. He tells us, though, that since there were no grooves in it, that it's probably a zip gun. Hmm. I've never heard of that. So the zip gun kind of sounds like a toy gun, but mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, tell me more. Uh, type of homemade weapon. Great. I feel so informed. Right. They are just rolling through these shootings because now we're in Queens two months later and 78 year old Joe Prochi was just trying to open his door to his apartment. And he got shot. And again, it's with a 9mm zip gun. What is a zip gun? Honestly, I have no idea. Through this whole episode, had no idea. And then they finally show us a picture of it. I know, I know. And it looks like like one of those water toys where you like pull up the back when you fill up water. (laughs) And then you shoot the water out of. That's all it looks like. Uh, Yeah, literally. But unlike the other victims, unfortunately, Joe died at the hospital. And another thing that's different, though, from the other cases is that the shooter actually left a note next to this victim. Yeah, and this note is all over the place. Like, the shooter threatens to kill 12 people. Then he says they will all be different astrological signs of the Zodiac. Then a similar note arrives at the New York Post. Which brings us to reporter Kieran Crowley. And this guy was organized. He's got this chart, and it was bizarre. The killer knew the birthdays of all of his shooting victims, but thought they were all dead, which is actually a very important detail to get wrong if we assume he's watching the news and is eager to take credit for his crimes. I thought so too. That's crazy to me. So for him to get that big of a detail wrong, it just makes me think that he's even more out of touch with the reality. So the last thing they get from this letter is that this guy calls himself the Zodiac. So here is true crime class number one for today. There are a lot of problems Mm. with nicknaming serial killers. The media loves it because it obviously gets them more readers, so essentially more money. But what it does is it adds more notoriety and infamy to the serial killer, which really just plays into exactly what they want. Right, right. Now, this guy gets a zero out of ten for originality because we've heard this name before. Now, do you know anything about the original Zodiac? Okay, so... You know I love me some horror films. And there was a film that came out in 2007 called Zodiac. (gasps) Yes. And I actually loved it. It starred Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr. And I have to say... And Mark Ruffalo, right? Yeah, yeah. And I have to say that that movie really, like, made me, like, want to find out more about the Zodiac Killer. And, you know... You want to know more. See when Donnie Rabbit Hole. I remember watching it. It was, like, really depressing. Yeah, yeah. It was really depressing. Yeah, yeah. Um, But just to make sure everyone is following, Wikipedia will tell you that the Zodiac Killer is a pseudonym and an unidentified serial killer who operated in Northern California in the late 1960s. Now, this case has been described as the most famous unsolved murder case in American history, and it has become a fixture of popular culture and has inspired numerous amateur detectives to attempt to solve it. 
eh, I think he's lame. <laughs> I think it's, I think he's stupid. Like this, I am on the other side of the spectrum. Like I don't find the cases of the Zodiac killer very interesting. Okay. But I do only care to find out who he is for the sake of like the victims and their families. Right. Because even if there's like siblings still alive, you know, or maybe some of their parents, I'm not sure if we would reach that far. But I will say that episode I listened to on Robbie and Ellen's podcast mm-hmm. was very, very good. It was probably the only Zodiac case coverage that I found interesting because I learned about new potential suspects. So if anyone is interested in... Oh, okay. Yeah, that actually made sense. It wasn't just some guy being like, it was my dad. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah, so that was really good. But anyways. um, Anyways, but now this New York murderer is claiming to be him. Am I wrong? Like he's claiming to be the Zodiac Killer. Could that even be possible though with like how many years are between the cases? Yes, technically. Yeah, because we're only talking about 16 years since the last letter was received from the Um. original Zodiac Killer. Uh, I had to look it up. So since he was never caught, and they don't know his age, like one of the survivors described him from being between 25 to 30. And I saw some other reports saying around 40, but it definitely is possible. And I've read that it's thought that he either stopped killing altogether, died, or was arrested for something unrelated. And investigators just never made that connection. They can just like stop killing (laughs) i'm not sure if it's like that cut and dry but i did look it up and according to a 2007 fbi report it's a myth that serial killers cannot stop killing Mm. which i found interesting yeah so it has been widely believed that once serial killers start killing they cannot stop there are however some serial killers who stopped murdering altogether before being caught in these instances there were events or circumstances in the offender's life that inhibited them from pursuing more victims. Oh. And these things were like family activities, uh-huh. sexual substitution, mm. and other diversions. It's just Ear. gross, gross, gross. I, yeah, I don't yeah, like yeah, saying yeah. it. It's just yeah. gross. Um, but yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, it makes you give like heebie-jeebies. But I do think it's a bit confusing, though, that Peter keeps referring to the shooter in New York as the Zodiac. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally agree. And what's strange is how the NYC murderer knew all of his victims' Zodiac signs. That part. Mario was a Scorpio, Hermon was a Gemini, and Joe was a Taurus. But how did the Zodiac know the victim's astrological signs? Are you kidding? It freaked them out completely. After that, the NYPD went into full manhunt mode. This is when we learn this murderer has already contacted the police months before his attacks, but it wasn't taken seriously. And basically it was viewed humorously. Here's a nut letter. I believe it was posted on a bulletin board. It was not taken very seriously. I mean, are we surprised? Nope. Okay, I, but I do love this next part simply because the NYPD had to consult an astronomer and you know all their hate for the murderer went just a bit deeper because he forced them to take stars seriously. I love it. I just picture your dad in this situation. What would Mike do if he had to ask about like stars, the stars that are going to be out tonight? If you could picture my dad to the people who are listening, like he is a mixture of the dad from Shit's Creek mixed with Tony's soprano oh my god that's such a good analogy like he thinks he's really funny but he's also really like he's a serious man he's a very serious man and he's trying to catch up to the times okay hi my name is michael reese i am the chief of police and we are here to discuss the movements of a potential copycat of the zodiac killer we consulted our star chart expert and if you are a leo 
Virgo slash Cancer, Aries, and Pisces. Cusp. Is it? Is this? Is this what we're? Is this what I'm supposed to be reading? Is this what I'm supposed to be reading? This is right. Okay. Yeah. If you are at Aries, P P Pisces cusp, um. I, I guess, yep, okay, then uh, please, please stay indoors until further notice, until we have um, fully discussed with our star chart expert on if this is actually correct. Thank you. Oh my god, I could never imagine. Okay, so this murderer says Orion is the one that could stop Zodiac and the Seven Sisters. Yeah. And Peter will say this over. Yeah, he says it a lot. He says it a and lot. And over again in this episode. <laughs> Apparently, this means that the shootings only happen on the nights that the Orion and the Seven Sisters of Pleiades constellations are not visible in the sky. Okay. It's New York. So anyone who lives in New York knows that you can't be like, let's go look at the Big Dipper tonight because the city lights don't allow us to do that. So like, when are the stars even visible? I remember that from living in L.A. I yeah. missed seeing the stars, I all know. the light pollution. Okay, but Drew, do you know what this thing is now? What? So now this thing is really a hot potato. A hot potato. <laughs> when have you ever in your life described a situation as a hot potato? What does that even mean, hot potato? Like one just like, you don't want to touch it. You're like, oop, pass it on to the next. Whoop, pass it on to the next. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. You take it. You take it. <laughs> I mean... To be honest, a hot potato is hot. Get it out of your hands. <laughs> uh, this is really a hot potato. Can you call someone else? Oh, this seems like a hot potato situation. I don't want to do it. Hot potato. Anyways, so ultimately law enforcement is scrambling to figure out if this really is the Zodiac Killer from the 60s resurfacing. Oh, I do love the next detail, though. Mm, me too. Before the Zodiac Killer in New York, when the guy said to a girl, what's your sign? He was hitting on her. Afterwards, I mean, there was literally a case where a guy asked a girl a sign and she screamed for the police. To the girl that screamed for police after a guy asked her that, I am you and you are me. We see you, girl. I would be on high alert. Who is hitting on someone like that? When I lived in L.A. with six roommates and I was having the time of my life, I know it sounds like a lot of people's nightmare, but I loved it. My friend Brianna had this book that told you everything about your sign and it broke down your compatibility with every other sign in very specific detail. Yeah. It was like an encyclopedia for astrology. We just loved it. So whenever any of us met anyone, we would just be like, where's the book? Pull it out. Like, I just miss those days. It was so fun. You miss those days. I still do it. I still do it. <laughs> but I always say, read horoscopes at the end of the day so that you are not predicting your whole day and re relying on the horoscope. Like, like okay. to, at the end of the day in bed, read your horoscope. And then let it relate to the day that you had instead of like making sure that you are... You connect meaning to what happened in your day. Exactly. Well, exactly. you heard it here first from... My smart mouth. <laughs> from my smart mouth. <laughs> oh, okay, moving, moving on, moving on, moving on. Handwriting experts compare the letters from the New York quote-unquote Zodiac and the original Zodiac Killer's letters from 25 years earlier. And we hear that the findings from Carl, whose lower third says... Questioned documents examiner. <laughs> Poor Carl. Imagine trying to explain that at a party. Should we do it? Okay, let's do it. 
What do you do again? Oh, I'm a question documents examiner. I'm sorry, what? Question documents examiner. What documents are you questioning? Um, like, whatever documents the police have, like, questions about. So, like, what kind of answers do you find to their question document? I don't know. <laughs> Poor Carl. Handwriting experts determine... His T-bars tend to descend. The crossbar on his lowercase f's tend to descend. Handwriting experts concluded that the San Francisco Zodiac and the New York Zodiac were two different men. Sorry to interrupt with a brief message from our true crime class, but... Of course. I know. Handwriting analysis has been another form of evidence that's come under some scrutiny in regards to reliability and accuracy. So in the 2019 article by the Journal of Forensic Science and Medicine, handwriting expertise has been used in courts in the United States since the beginning of the 20th century. But the litigation model and the way in which the Anglo-American legal system treats evidence has meant that handwriting expertise has always been controversial. This is like a mouthful of information. (laughs) I'm just going to kind of summarize the next part. Although it's been a form of evidence that's been used in the courts for a long time, its standing as evidence is relatively weak. It breaks down to expert opinion in practice, and it is less reliable than other forms of evidence based on scientific knowledge. So the reliability of an expert opinion on the handwriting, it comes in two components, the reliability of the handwriting comparison and the reliability Mm -hmm. of the expert's skills. Does that make sense? Because that was a lot. Like, that was just a lot to say. I'm not going to lie to you. That's a lot of really big words. So basically, it's very subjective. There's not a lot of scientific backing and it comes down to the expert's qualifications okay. and what he's comparing it against, how reliable those forms of evidence are. Got it. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. okay. So while I was looking up these studies done in this field um, to test this reliability, I just I found so much contradicting information. So I'm not going to continue confusing myself and <laughs> others. I'm just going to say it basically just comes down to the courts on a case-by-case basis, whether it would be admissible or not. Okay. Make sense? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I'm following along. I'm following along. I'm following along. The police decide to label this copycat as very sophisticated. Mm. I really just think he's getting lucky by how random his victims are. All the shootings have taken place at 21 and 63 day intervals. Again, we hear Peter say it over and over again. And they happened on nights when the constellations Orion and the Seven Sisters of the Pleiades were not visible in the sky. So there are variations of like this three-week cycle, and this is when astronomer Gregory Matloff enters the chat. Please ask him to help predict the next shooting, which I love to just imagine play out in my head. The stars also were either homes of gods or the lights into heaven. So... These are powerful ideas. These are powerful symbols. And just like that, I now know what man in New York was using the what's your sign pickup line. No, not Gregory. (laughs) I would hate if a woman just ran from sweet Gregory. He just seems really passionate about what he does. Gregory predicted the shooter would strike again on June 21st, the summer solstice, which is the longest day of the year. So NYPD has police officers all over the city Mm -hmm. in regular clothes, but the shooter strikes in Manhattan. He shoots one of the most vulnerable people in our society, 
which is an unhoused man named Larry sleeping on a poor park bench. Oh, God. Like the empathy at this point has just I left know, my body I and know, turned into I rage. Know. Me too, me too. The fact that the shooter can just see someone without a safe place to sleep and inflicts even more harm onto him, just it makes me angry, I know, so angry. I know, me too. But now the shooter leaves a note, though, remember, in the victim's shoe. Mm-hmm. And his note tells us that he knows Larry's a cancer, different, though, from his other victims. He was also upset being called a copycat in the newspaper. Boo fucking who? Now we get into forensic science of it all. This is a doozy. Should we do it? Let's do it. Criminalists saturate the letter with a chemical. This chemical reacts with amino acid from skin oils. The letter is placed in a humidity chamber. Because that sounds way more sciencey than a sauna. Same, same. The moisture in the sauna sped up the chemical process. This revealed an almost perfect thumbprint. That's pretty cool, though. I'm not going to lie that it revealed a thumbprint. (laughs) I mean, it is. It's pretty cool. They took a photo of it, then ran it through every fingerprint database available. This checks anyone who's ever committed a crime and certain government employees like police officers, DMV workers, postal workers, city employees. And they even compared it against the fingerprint that's in evidence for the real Zodiac killer. Ooh. Mm -hmm. But they actually have nothing but the single fingerprint. And that's when we hear it again. Zodiac claimed that only the constellations Orion and the Seven Sisters could stop him. New York police hoped to add themselves to the list. So up until now, this monster, because I'm going to call him a monster, has killed one man and wounded three others. And the only piece of evidence is a goddamn fingerprint. Now they said it was clear he was following the news about him. I'm not so sure it was that clear because, you know, he had thought he had killed those first three. But then two years go by. I mean, like, were you gagged when you saw this? Two years. 24 months go by and there's nothing. That is, though, until 1994 when he sends a letter to the newspaper because now he's just bummed out that he's not getting credit for these unsolved murders and shootings. So he actually wasn't quiet. They just didn't connect the cases. Right, right. Yeah, so I got some of these details from the show, but I also filled in some blanks with help from an article on criminalminds.fandom.com. On August 10th, 1992, Patricia Fonte, a Leo, died after being shot twice and stabbed more than a hundred times. Oh my God, oh my God. And on June 4th, 1993, Jim Weber, a Libra, survived an attack and Detective Louie is here to recount what Jim Weber witnessed. According to Weber, Weber said after he was shot in the, the buttocks, he heard him laughing as he jumped into the cemetery. On July 20th, 1993, John Diacone of Virgo died after being shot in the neck. And on October 2nd, 1993, Diane Ballard, another Taurus, survived her injuries that included a gunshot wound to the neck. Right. Now, the killer also listed a ninth victim for June 11th, 1994, but police never found that individual, despite a thorough search of the park with cadaver dogs and helicopters. So if you noticed, Diane was actually another Taurus, and Mm -hmm. this actually messes up his pattern. Right. All of his letters also include a message that say, no grooves on bullet. And this matches with the ballistics evidence from him using that homemade zip gun. So they know it's him. Right, right. But it would be this letter that finally makes a mistake because why? He licked the envelope flap and we fucking got his DNA. Got it. (laughs) Letter also included another clue. The reporter Kieran is back and he recognized that there were all these shapes that looked like a code. 
I just I knew it was a code. It was a nine towers because there were nine victims, and I wrote down all the different symbols. And I think I had 23, very close to an alphabet. Well, Kieran's father-in-law just so happens to have been a code breaker in World War II. And using some spy shit, they discover it is a code. Mm -hmm. It's a code using a maritime system of international flags and pendants. This part is interesting, but then we do find out what the message says, and it's so fucking boring. So lame. Why couldn't this man just join a code breakers club or something to express his interest that didn't harm anyone? I don't know. I don't know. Because it's not (laughs) about any of that stuff. It's not about some like higher philosophy. He really just wants to hurt people and the rest is just noise. He's just adding to make himself seem interesting but he's he's not. He's such a he's a poser. Totally. They were able to decipher the Zodiac's secret message. It said this is the Zodiac speaking. I am in control, who mastery, be ready for more, yours truly. Okay, so we now meet Detective Joseph Herbert, and he is adorable. Oh, is Herbert and Detective Louie doing their own reenactment scenes? A star is born, baby. Uh, They are. They are, and they are just thriving. They are thriving. I truly love this for them. Detective Herbert tells us that he knew forensic science would eventually catch this killer. So let's go over the evidence that we actually have so far, shall we? Yes. They had partial fingerprints from two of the letters at the crime scenes. The bullets removed from the victims were not traditional lands and groove bullets. Whatever the hell that fucking means. Oh, but they did have barrel markings on them that could be compared to other barrels. So don't you fret. We have no idea what that means. But Detective Herbert said it with his whole chest. So I believe that's solid evidence. And last but probably most important... They have DNA from one of the letters. But even with all of that evidence, they have no leads on who the shooter is. Oh my god. So even though they have his DNA, they need to have someone to test it against, right? Am I wrong? No, you're right. You're right. And today we have CODIS, which is the combined DNA. Wait, I had to look it up. It was combined DNA index system. And then we have the national DNA index system. But these shootings were happening in the early 90s. And according to the DOJ's website, CODIS began as like a pilot project. In 1990. Yeah, so it still wasn't like completely available or a functioning tool for police departments yet. And if this person has never been arrested before or submitted DNA to the police for whatever reason, they won't get any hits, even if CODIS was a tool they had access to. This is actually why forensics genealogy is just changing the DNA game. So, like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this kind of like the 23andMe stuff? Yes, exactly. So they submit the DNA from a case into a similar database as that 23andMe and try to find new leads based on matches that other people have submitted to learn more about, like, their own ancestors. They compare it against that, and then they go down their, like, family tree. Oh, shit. I mean, like, I've actually heard wild stories about people doing this, though. Yeah, I'm just, like, waiting for their marketing to just go off the rails. Is your dad really your dad? Do you have secret siblings? Is your cousin a serial killer? Submit your DNA and find out. In three easy steps. (laughs) But it's really amazing because according to a report, the Institution of Engineering and Technology, there have been more than 400 cases solved using forensics genealogy. What? 400. I mean, that's actually really fucking cool. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so Peter tells us on a dark and dreary March afternoon in 1996, the NYPD's luck changes. 
A young man in a Brooklyn apartment is holding his sister's boyfriend hostage at gunpoint after allegedly shooting his sister because he was mad they were alone together in her room. When they refuse to come out of the room, this guy fires a shot through the bedroom door and the reenactment actually shows his sister casually strolling out to confront her brother who is now done with this gun and back to watching TV. (laughs) So we see the reenactment actress confront him like, what's wrong with you, bro? (laughs) But apparently it was rhetorical because she just turns right around, casually walks back to her room, and then the reenactment brother just shoots her. In the butt! Correction! (laughs) Peter says buttocks. (laughs) When the woman ran out to confront her brother, he shot her in the buttocks with a shotgun. So there's an article on The Independent that states this man abused his sister, so I am confident in assuming that this reenactment is not accurate, which is why I felt okay making fun of it, because this is just not how things like this play when you have an abusive family member. So his poor sister was probably terrified. I also noticed on Wikipedia that her information was the information for that ninth mystery victim that, you know, he claimed in the letter. It's all mixed up, which leads to quite a bit of misinformation in this independent article. So I just want to state that. That's good to know. Yeah. Detective Herbert is sent in as the hostage negotiator. And when you hear his voice and how disarming it is, I was kind of like, Of course they sent him in. Like, he probably was really incredible at that. I'd be like, yes, I will put my gun down, too. I mean, I hope I'm never in that situation. (laughs) I'm behind one side of the door, and he's on the other side of the door. And I'm talking to him. And I'm trying to articulate to him that enough damage has been done. After about three hours, he indicated to me that he wanted to surrender. So they convinced him to put all of his weapons in Buckets. This is the first I saw oh of this. Oh my god. And the police lowered buckets from the roof to his apartment window when he surrendered. His name is Eddie Seda. He's a 26-year-old high school dropout who was unemployed and living with his mother and younger sister. I also read that he'd get money from shoving plastic bags up the return slots of payphones and vending machines. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wait, shoving plastic bags? <laughs> up the return slots of payphones. What's a return slot? Take yourself back before technology. Okay, okay, okay. So you have the coin insert slot and then sometimes it wouldn't register so it would return your coin back to you and you hear the little ding. ding. Oh, yeah. And it would fall kind of like a slot yes. machine. Yes. Okay. So he had the bags, okay. like little like sandwich bags in the return oh. slot so people would think their coin oh. like just got swallowed by the machine. Oh, come on, Eddie. I mean, okay. I feel like that was not very lucrative, but... That's not, that's not, okay. (laughs) Okay, so we're told that he seemed religious, quiet, and strange, and on other days, aggressive and scary. And the way the reporter presents this, he's presenting it as if, like, only one of those options raises red flags. Right, and Seda is asked to write a written statement about what happened with his sister and her boyfriend. And at the end of that statement, he signs his name with this weird symbol, and it's when Detective Herbert sees this, the dots just all immediately connected for him, and he's like... That's it. This is the copycat Zodiac. I mean, you like that name? I do, because I know how much Eddie hates being called a copycat. So I just really wish they would have referred to him as that the whole episode, just to get to him. To prove their suspicions, police turned to forensic science. Let's do it again. Let's do it again, shall we? First, Seda's prints were compared with the print left on the letter in Central Park. It's a match. Next, handwriting experts compared the handwriting with the copycat Zodiac letters to Seda's known handwriting sample. It's a match. Ballistics experts examined Seda's collection of 15 zip guns. Silly Eddie, he didn't know about forensic tool mark analysis. Wait, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, so let's just have Detective James explain it. A tool mark is a characteristic 
left behind uh, during the process of uh, using a tool to either cut, grind, file, or polish a piece of metal. Poor James. Looks like his supervisor made him do this interview, don't you think? It really does. <laughs> so Peter just takes it from here to spare James and tells us that there can be hundreds of microscopic tool marks in a pipe used in a homemade gun. So ballistics compares the tool marks on the bullets they have in evidence with the tool marks made from the bullets fired by Seda's zip gun, and the tool marks were microscopically similar. I'd personally like to know how similar, but I guess it was just similar enough. Like, they don't even show comparisons or anything. And last but not least, his DNA is a match to the saliva found on the envelope flap from the copycat's last letter, which is stupidly done. I'm just glad it was a match. (laughs) (laughs) So Detective Louie and Detective Herbert get to relive this triumphant moment while they star in their own reenactment. Then these final interview clips with this quintessential New York cops are just chef's kiss perfect. (laughs) I put out my hand and said, uh, I'm looking for you for six years. And I said, you're the Zodiac. And he says, "Uh, no, I'm not. I said, you're the Zodiac. That was the beginning of a six, seven hour interrogation on the Zodiac shootings uh, until finally he did give it up. He did confess to it. He didn't want to go to jail for simply shooting his sister in the butt with a, with a shotgun. He wanted to take credit for his years of, of handiwork. So because Peter just can't let this episode end without saying that Orion and the Seven Sisters one more time, (laughs) we find out one more time, time, Peter, for the people in the back, I guess. We find out (laughs) that on the day he shot his sister that they were actually overhead, but they just weren't visible in the overcast sky. Literally no one was wondering that. So do you want to hear the dumbest part about all of this? Yes. I found this absolute trash article from NewYorkMag.com about Eddie and his prison life. It honestly just sounds more like a diary entry from someone who wants to fit in with all of them. Mm -hmm. But he is quoted Mm -hmm. admitting, I don't actually know anything about astrology. What? Yeah. What the hell? (laughs) What the hell? Then what is what is going on? Then why all these theatrics? Why admire the Zodiac Killer? Then why, if you know nothing about astrology, I'm going back and I'm going back and forth in my head. Right I can now. answer those questions because in that same article, it says that as a teenager he dreamed of joining the Green Berets, but when it came time to take the entrance exam, oh. he failed. He says that pissed me off. I thought, what am I going to do with all this information I have? Because he used to just research it like crazy being a Green Beret. And one day he saw a PBS special about the original Zodiac Killer. Eddie says he watched it and thought, holy smokes, this guy terrorized a whole city and never got caught. I got nothing to live for. I don't got no job. I already got those skills. I could be famous. I could do that. You're joking. Seriously? Seriously. That is what it's quoted. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm so frustrated. He knows nothing about astrology, yet you're going to make your whole tactic be about astrology. Who looks at that and is like, hmm, I could do that. That's smart. What the hell? Like, you don't see, like, the ads for, like, the Taco Bell hiring, and you're like, I could probably just, like, make a taco? (laughs) What the hell? These episodes are making me more and more frustrated as we go on. Sorry. Oh my God. It's okay. It's okay. I'm picking them, so it's fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. Well, let's just wrap it up on this loser, shall we? Eddie Sato was charged with shooting six people 
and killing three others. The prosecutors tell us they had so much forensic evidence that they were worried it wouldn't hold the jury's interest. Tell us you think people are dumb without telling us (laughs) you think people are dumb. And it turns out they presented it all together and called that week Forensic Week so they could just like (laughs) jam pack all the information and, you know, get it over with. And the jurors were (laughs) on the edge of their seats. So they basically, though, like Tess ran the show without even knowing it. 100%. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But the defense attorney is here and I have never seen anyone so honest and pure about the situation he found himself in. I just love how he's like, I just remember one morning sitting there like, fuck. (laughs) That's what I really want to say. Like, what am I going to do with this stuff? You beat the ballistics, you've got the fingerprint. You beat the fingerprint, you've got the handwriting. You beat the handwriting, you've got the statement. You beat one statement, you've got another statement. Eddie Sato was convicted and sentenced to 232 years in prison. Bye, Eddie. Bye. I mean, the last question, though, Peter can't let go of is... How did Eddie know his victims' zodiac signs? And the answer is nothing shocking. Forensic Files, the episode said he most likely looked in their wallets after he shot them, and it was only by chance that he didn't repeat any zodiac signs until Diane Ballard. What a fucking loser. Do you have any other updates? I do, I do. So his mother still takes a seven-hour bus ride from Brooklyn to visit him once a month, and I just find that so sad for her because obviously not for him, but for her that... She still is, like, committing her time to, like, go and see her son, who, I don't know. I don't know about you, but, like, this is, like, he's just, he's such a sad, like, pathetic person. And then his poor mom is just, like, she's doing this all the time. That really does break my heart because I saw this painting once, or maybe it was just, like, a picture on, I can't even keep my shit straight. (laughs) I saw this image once somewhere. I have no idea where. It's just filed in my brain, but it was, like, a grown child, but a mother looking at her grown child with, like, kind of this, like, faint image of the baby with the child. And it's, like, a mother always sees that baby with their child. And I was just, like, ugh. So, Drew, because you are going to Japan, you're going to Tokyo um, yes. literally in a couple of days, right? No, I'm actually going like literally tonight. <laughs> oh, my God. That's right. Okay. So because um, the day that we're recording, you're literally about to fly out to Japan. I wanted to just give you a little warning. There was okay. another copycat Zodiac killer. What? Yes. He was a child. Which makes this even weirder. But he did not shoot his victims. It was very, very gruesome. He decapitated a victim with a handsaw. Now, he was 14 at the time. What? I don't really see much about how the connection was made. Everyone, you can look it up. I'm not going to go super into this case um, because it's all children victims. He was only 14 at the time, so he was not charged as an adult. So he is out. He is out. And pretty sure he changed his name. Should I be on the lookout for the Zodiac Killer in Japan when I go there tomorrow? Maybe try to Google some photos. And oh my uh, god, this you this, know. This, this podcast, honestly, I'm just trying to make you more aware so you stay safe. I am planning and prepping for you. Yeah, yeah, Danielle, just just be aware that there's a Zodiac Killer. His crimes were his crimes were pretty gruesome. He was a very troubled young man. You love your research, and then you throw this little tidbit in there just to make me feel comfy on that 13-hour plane ride tomorrow. I mean, yeah, he, like, took the head uh, back to his school, and... Uh, Danielle, stop! <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, safe travels, Drew! <laughs> 
Okay, so now for our missing person cases that we'd love everyone to know about. Stephen Edwards' apartment is in the East Village of Manhattan, where he was last seen by his roommates. Stephen posted a video on his Instagram account on September 2nd, 2023, but there has not been any social media activity since then, which is unusual for him. Stephen was last seen wearing an orange bandana on his head covering his hair, a white tank top, blue jeans, and a chain. Stephen's father and roommates are concerned that he is being held against his will. His laptop was left behind, which shows Uber and Cash App activity, which is unusual for Stephen. Police were reluctant to even make a missing persons report, insisting that he is not a missing person. But they finally did after Stephen's roommate presented evidence they found, and Stephen's father continued to advocate for his son. But it's unclear what they are doing to try to locate him. Stephen is a 32-year-old black male with dark complexion. Height is listed as 5'8", 120 pounds, with black short hair and black eyes. You can submit information to the Black and Missing Foundation's tip line at blackandmissinginc.com slash tip line. And for the Bureau of Indian Affairs.gov website is the case of Shakaya Harding. Shakaya went missing on July 23, 2018, and was last seen at the Tumbleweed Runaway Center in Billings, Montana, the Yellowstone County Sheriff's Office, and BIA OJS Missing and Murdered Unit is seeking your assistance for any information regarding the whereabouts of Shakaya Harding. Yellowstone County Detective Sergeant Frank Fritz has reported that a person by her name did purchase a ticket and was supposedly going to the Grand Junction, Colorado area. That ticket was purchased at the bus station in downtown Billings during the 4th of July weekend. There is, however, no evidence that Shakaya ever used that bus ticket. Her mother is begging for more information. Shakaya struggles with addiction, but she has always come home after a week. But as of July 23, 2018, she has never returned home. Shakaya is a Native American female with black hair and brown eyes. She's 5'4", about 124 pounds, and she often goes by her middle name, Blue. If you know anything, please contact the Yellowstone County Sheriff at 406-256-2929. To submit case information or tips, you can do so one of three ways. You can text BIAMMU and your tip to 847-411, call in tips to 1-833-560-2065, or email OJS underscore MMU at BIA.gov. We also post the case information on our Instagram, Forensic Files Podcast, and our Facebook, the Forensic Files Duo Discussion Group. But first, please go and follow at Black and Missing FDN and at MMI Who Is Missing. Thank you. Well, we did it, Drew. Episode three. Episode three. Can you believe it? We did it. We did I it. I can't. I can't. Honestly, like, I mean, I know I have to, like, go and edit now, so. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you for letting me pick the, like, last two episodes. Of course. Although I don't know much about true crime, mm-hmm. these two really did feel like they stood out to me, and I am happy that I picked them. Yeah, I'm happy you picked them, too. It was really interesting and kind of took us different places, although we still stuck in the 90s. I know, I know. Thank, Thank you, everyone. everyone. Do you want to tell them where to find us and follow? Yeah, please, please, please go and follow us on all of our social media handles. On Facebook, it is the Forensic Files Duo Discussion Group, and our Instagram, which is at Forensic Files Podcast. Yeah. I think we did it. Episode three, Wrap done. it up. Put Wrap a it up. Bow on it. Bye. We'll see you next time. Get closer to your mic. I would sit in front of the TV. (laughs) All right, we got to be close to the mic. My God, I swear to God, I'm going to slap you with this mic. (laughs) 
we don't want to get yelled at again. 